Leadership File on Premier. Welcome to the show which helps you lead where God has placed you. I'm Andy Peck. In our weekly look at leadership, I've involved men and women leaders who lead in the church, the charity and the commercial worlds. But inviting men and women is not a given within certain church circles. In some churches, women are barred from occupying certain roles because of a view that scripture teaches that men only should be leading, in particular as a priest, a vicar, a senior pastor or as a minister. So am I wrong to be interviewing women dispassionately? And what does the Bible actually teach on this? Was the Apostle Paul anti-women, as some critics have suggested? Well, this week I'm joined by Lucy Pipiat, the principal of Westminster Theological Centre and the author of a new book, Unveiling Paul's Women, Making Sense of 1 Corinthians 11, 2-16. This is, of course, a Bible passage that has often been used as part of the wider argument that women should not be leaders within the local church. So, Lucy, welcome back to the Leadership File. Hi, Andy. Thank you. Great, great to have you back. Um, so we're going to uh, we've got a limited amount of time to focus upon this this topic. So we're going to uh, focus particularly on, on on the book. The book outlines uh, what is regarded as one of the toughest passages in the Bible to interpret. One Corinthians eleven two to sixteen. I'm planning uh, to look in detail at your argument, though as a non-academic, it did seem pretty compelling. But it'd be useful for you to give a summary, perhaps. The, uh, and your summary, I think, is that the problem is not with the women, but with the men. Yes, I well just um, to explain this particular passage, mm. 1 Corinthians 11, 2 to 16, is where it appears that Paul is saying that women should wear some kind of head covering in order to pray and prophesy in public, um, but that men should go uncovered to do the same thing. So, so in, in a worship setting. Um, and it's really baffled commentators and scholars uh, for years exactly what Paul is getting at and why and why he should take this issue so seriously. Um, so I'm tackling just that particular piece of scripture and the argument in there. And what I say, uh, what I conclude is that actually it's not representing Paul's views entirely in these 15 verses, um, but that he's referring to his opponents who are the ones who want to put women in head coverings and actually that he believes that women should be free to pray and prophesy as they are um, without having to cover their heads and so in this little passage we see him in conversation with his opponents in Corinth um, who are men I believe and he's correcting them and saying you shouldn't be making women wear head coverings because they have a covering and it's their hair. And I, I mean, I grew up in the Christian Brethren, um, where you know most women would have head coverings of some sort, and of course, mm. some of our listeners may be in those in churches where that has been a bit more common, or perhaps used to be in those kind of churches, and still feel a little awkward, perhaps not having a hat on when they're in church. I think that's um, true. There are still some churches like that. And in fact, there's a website um, called the Head Coverings Movement, um, which is advocating that all women should go back to wearing actual head coverings. But I think the thing that troubled me more about this passage was that it's often used now to, um, to, to say that women should have some kind of 
covering as in a spiritual covering in order to do anything in church and that that should be a man so I mean I've heard lots of stories of women who might be permitted to do something in church as long as a man is present and sort of in a sense I don't know checking up on them or or covering them it's a bit of a nebulous concept but um, it's used more in that way now I think in a sort of metaphorical figurative way which is an interesting use of the passage and one that I also question. Sure, sure. Um, so I, I was going to say that the, the, this passage is fed into the, the traditional patriarchal approach to church leadership. Um, you know, the women have been barred from leading and teaching in many denominations and church streams. Um, and, and in some settings, that's that's very much still the case. Um, so at, at some point, obviously, you you were interested as a, as a woman in a career in theology. Um, mm. Was that a, a normal place for, for women when you started off? Um, not really in evangelical charismatic settings. I mean, obviously, there are many great women in theology um, in general, but um, but there's not a lot in, in the whole sort of worldwide picture. Um, but certainly in evangelical charismatic circles, which is what I moved in in church, in my church life, um, there were very few women who I could find who had gone into systematic theology, which is what I did. Um, so there's biblical studies, there's systematic theology, there's all sorts of different disciplines within theology. And this, the one that I went into, um, I was, no, I felt very much kind of, I was on my own slightly <laughs> in that. And did, uh, uh, probably it's a personal question, but did you did you sense uh you know, people saying odd things to you, like, you know, almost almost patronising um, um, fellow men who were studying, uh, men who were studying who were, uh, you know, surprised to see you in this world? Well, I felt actually in the academic world, I felt welcomed, which was, which was great and I, I know some wonderful academics and people who are very very encouraging of me and so I was, I was really fortunate in that um, but in church circles I, I felt like people just didn't get it they just didn't really get what I was doing didn't um, understand why I was doing it so mostly they, it wasn't a hostility it was just a sort of I think they thought it was just a little project that I was doing on the side whereas in fact it was a massive thing for me to um do a master's and then go and write a phd um and it took up obviously a lot of my time and my emotional and intellectual and spiritual energy really um and it was something i felt god was calling me to um although at the time i wasn't sure why now as, as a guy i can't imagine what it must be like to have your ministry uh, kind of questioned or just because of your gender I mean ministry is challenging enough <laughs> so was that kind of very wearing um well thankfully um in my own little world um it I it wasn't like that and that never happened to me so I was very very fortunate and it was only really later in life and as I became a principal um, in a college uh, in the evangelical world that I sort of bumped up against it a lot more and that some of my students obviously um, began to question me on it. They assumed I would have good answers to this because I was a theologian and I was a principal and I had, was leading a church, you know. So 
they assumed I had sort of thought it all through and had good answers to all these people who said that women shouldn't be in leadership. But the truth is, I hadn't really thought it all through. I just assumed like that it was fine and didn't really understand how they were using scripture against women like that. And so writing Women and Worship, which was my first book on 1 Corinthians 11 to 14, and now Unveiling is is part of my process. It's my answer, really, to why I think women are free to lead and why the scriptures, it's the scriptures that set them free to do that. Now, I mean, a few years back, uh, there was a guy in a senior role in the church who brought together church leaders from the two perspectives on this whole issue. So what what's so-called complementarians who take what is called the traditional view and egalitarians who believe women are free to serve God in any role. And he was surprised to learn that while the complementarians were happy to agree to disagree... Uh, it was actually the egalitarians who believed this was a primary issue and they were quite adamant that you shouldn't <laughs> shouldn't hold a view um, that was anything other than liberating to women. I just wonder mm. whether you can understand the strength of feeling that some egalitarians feel on this issue. Mm, that's a really good question. Um, I think that it's important to note really that complementarianism takes a lot of different forms um so it can be it can be extremely restrictive of women in all spheres of life or it can be a very sort of mild form of that um or it could just apply maybe to marriage or something like that so um it, it, if someone calls themselves a complementarian it's quite important to understand exactly what they mean by that because they, it may not be what you're assuming they okay, think sure, is what sure, I mean. yeah. so, no, no. and I know people who call themselves complementarians but they have women teaching in their church so they clearly haven't understood it that it means that women okay. can't teach for this, I mean. right, yeah. so um so it maybe that's part of why they have a more relaxed view because they think well there are various forms of that where women in a sense could probably do what they wanted in some way um but i think that the strength of feeling probably on the what's called the egalitarian side of things is it, i think it's because it's a principle um that if if one holds a principle that that um advocates that women should be subordinate in any sphere of life um that that is demeaning to women and I, and so what's happening when you when you meet people who you know hold that kind of view even even if it's mild um it is, you know, that's hard to live with. And the idea that a woman or a girl should be brought up to feel that there are certain spheres of life in which she should be subordinate and submissive to a man just because he's a man and she's a woman, is um, that's a deeply troubling principle. And so I think the strength of feeling comes from that. Yeah. And sadly, of course, sometimes that um, that principle was not actually followed through. So uh, women would be uh, would serve as missionaries uh, in leadership mm -hmm. roles uh, overseas uh, and teach and do all sorts of things that they could not do back in the church that had sent them, mm -hmm. which which, you know, was <laughs> somewhat somewhat farcical, really. Mm. And that's a classic story from church history, actually, that women would be sent out as evangelists and missionaries. And once they'd planted a church and established a church, then a man would be put in to lead it. Oh. 
Yeah, well, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's, it's sad. Obviously, you, you can you can tell where I'm coming from on this issue, um, but uh, but no, I mean, and I think we need to point out that that people hold the complementarian issue with with good conscience. Some of our listeners will, yeah. um, you know, and and you know, where, where where there's matters on which we disagree, we seek to love one another and understand mm-hmm. one another and support one another as best we can, even if we maybe may argue a different a different viewpoint. Mm. And well, to talk, you know, yes. I think it's really important. Let's talk about it. Let's sit down mm. and talk with each other and not just, you know, demonize the other. And, and yeah, it's Absolutely. important to have these discussions and debates. Absolutely. Well, you're listening to Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Lucy Pepiat. We're talking particularly about uh, her book and aspects of the book, uh, Unveiling Paul's Women, Making Sense of 1 Corinthians 11, 2 to 16. We'll be back just after this. Well, welcome back to Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Lucy Pepiat, the principal of Westminster Theological Centre. She's the author of a new book, Unveiling Paul's Women, Making Sense of 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 2 to 16. We've we've touched a little bit on the, the, the theme of the book. It's not, you'd need to read the book to understand the full uh, argument, very clear, I think, argument that Lucy's uh, placed there that's uh, saying that maybe Paul wasn't uh, anti-women as sometimes people have characterised him, but actually not all of that text is particularly Paul's writing but he's uh, talking a little bit about what what people felt about women within the church in in uh, in Corinth and uh, we touched a little bit on some of the challenges of being um, uh, a woman in leadership uh, within the 21st uh, century so so Lucy sort of broadening the the, the topic a little bit um, clearly the issue is our ability to interpret scripture so if there was a a verse that simply stated uh, men and women can serve in any position then all would be much clearer at one level. <laughs> but presumably we'd have to accept that the New Testament epistles did not need to state things that would have been assumed because of the way in which life was. Yes, I think um, that what we're at an interesting phase in history in terms of the interpretation of Scripture and women, um, partly, I think, because there are just a lot more women involved in interpreting scriptures, a lot more women academics and women who know the original languages and who are then therefore bringing their own perspective. Um, and the other thing is there are a lot more women in church history. So, yeah, so it's an interesting time in history because more women, there are more women academics, there are more women reading the scriptures for themselves in the original language, and there are more women involved in studying church history. So I've just been, I am reading a very interesting book called Christian Women in the Patristic World so in the Early Church, written by Lynn Coick and Amy Brown Hughes. And it's a, such a fantastic example of what happens when women put put their attention onto church history and the scriptures and read it for themselves and find treasures in it that perhaps the men have overlooked or often I think the men overlook and so they're going through the early church picking out these very prominent and influential women in church history but we don't get taught those things you know people don't talk about the women very much but when you start looking in the bible for yourself or other people start to show you 
where women have been very prominent and very influential, you see a really different picture. And then you go back to reading the slightly difficult passages that seem to prohibit women from doing things. And you think, well, wait a minute, but all these women were doing all that stuff. So this must mean something different from what we thought it meant in the first place. Sure. Um, well, I mean, going particularly to uh, to some people's view that Paul taught in Timothy and Titus that an elder... Uh, should be male. Um, apparently, Philip uh, Payne, the author of Man and Woman, One in Christ, says that nowhere in the descriptions of qualifications of elders and deacons in either Timothy or Titus is a masculine pronoun used in the Greek. I'm not a Greek scholar, but apparently that's the case. Yeah. Yet most, most Bibles have elders and overseers as men. Um, yeah. Now, later in the text, of course, it does say uh, an elder should be the husband of one wife. So is, is that the kind of thinking that interpreters of use the male pronoun even though the Greek didn't have it because of that part of the text? Yes, I think so. Exactly. It's assumptions that are made when we're reading that we just assume, oh, because this was a woman, this must mean something else here um, rather than what it normally means in that context. So the uh, two very good examples of something like that would be Junia, the apostle from Romans 16, 7. So she's Paul talks about Junia and Andronicus who are outstanding or notable among the apostles and the implication being that Junia, a woman, is an apostle. Yes. Um, but at some point in church history, uh, the men thought actually, well, if if this person is an apostle, it must be a man. And so they changed Junia's name and masculine, masculinized it um, to imply that actually if this person is an apostle it must be a man <laughs> yes, indeed. and now recently that's been really challenged and i think you'll find in pretty much all bibles that junior has now been reinstated as a woman yes. and an apostle um so that's a really clear example and then another example is phoebe who in in romans 16 as well um who is clearly a very very close friend of paul's and she uh, is in the past has often been described as a servant, giving her a sort of a helper role, whereas in fact she was a deacon and a patron of Paul's. So she had a very high profile in the early church and she had a clear leadership position. Um, but the language that interpreters chose to translate these particular words, it, um, you know, brought her down in status. Basically. Right, right. And understand she was probably, she took one of Paul's letters to another church and therefore would have had a, a role in, in reading and, and explaining it to some degree. Yes, she she was the one who delivered the letter to the Romans. And seeing as that's the most theologically yes. dense of Paul's letters, I yeah. think she must have been very bright yeah, yeah. and uh, and worked very closely with him. I, I doubt, you know, I mean, he wrote his letters in conversation with his colleagues, I think, and um, people tend to, to to assume that now. And he must have talked to her through it all in great detail before she went and delivered it so that she would know how to answer any questions. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, obviously, uh, younger people are growing up in a, in a world where an egalitarian view of life is, is much more typical. And I wonder if, if you're, uh, you, you find that generally younger people have a fewer problems with, with this kind of view that women could serve as leaders and, and preachers, etc., uh, do you think, in, as time goes on, this is going to be a generational issue, and the older 
older are going to be the more traditional and the younger people are going to be more uh, more uh, egalitarian in their view? Um, I'm not entirely sure of that, actually. I meet um, a number of young people who have been prepared for marriage, for instance, um, by people who are very sure that they need to tell them that this, the young man, the husband-to-be, is going to be the head of the household. And that they, they come and speak to me and my husband about that because we don't um, take that view of marriage and um, that's probably another long story but sure. um so we so no we do find we're often talking to younger people actually about it and and it's a genuine question and and troubling for people who want to um follow the scriptures you know and then wondering how do they live as young Christians in this world? And so I'm not entirely sure it's a generational thing. Okay. Um, and I think this, it's interesting, the whole question of women, which is obviously what I'm um, concerned about for myself, is it, it just seems to loom in each generation. I think that, I think that hu- humanity is sort of predisposed to being patriarchal. And when you look at the history of the world, um, you can see that, uh, and I, I personally believe, and with many, many other people, that the Christian gospel frees humanity from the damage of patriarchy, and it, it frees it frees women to to occupy um, all sorts of different roles in life, which uh, are probably closed off to them by society and actually that's why Christianity appeals to women so deeply and always has done the early church was full of women and slaves and children um, because I think it was a message of freedom for them. Some people will be listening to this conversation I think you're giving a, a Lucy an easy ride Andy because basically this is this is another kind of more liberal view of scripture we're kind of, kind of capitulating to our age and uh um, we're, we're not we're not holding firm to scripture. So, what, how do you respond to those kind of accusations, Lucy? Yeah, I think it's I think people are fearful because when something has been interpreted in a particular way for such a long time and in such a sort of strong way, people are are fearful of change. And what well, are you sure you can read this differently? Isn't it just you know? Isn't it just a, a feminist view? And aren't we just giving in to our culture? And aren't we all just becoming liberals? Um, but I would say that this is why it's very important for people to to educate themselves, do their own reading, study for themselves, and really learn to make up our own minds and listen carefully to the arguments that people are putting forward. So I would say, actually, that I've delved more deeply into um, the interpretation of Scripture, and I've I've read a lot of uh, what's out there in terms of offering interpretations of this particular passage, which is my particular interest. And and I think I've gone more deeply, not you know, not skating over the problems, but actually digging deeper into them than a lot of people have done so far. And and the fact that we can expose them as problems, we shouldn't be frightened of that, because um, God has given us Scripture for us to question, and it questions us. You know, it confronts us with our own prejudices, our own desires, our own sort of what we want. So. We we should all go through that process, and I would just encourage people who are fearful of um, 
you know, different interpretations of scripture to do your own work and do some of your own reading and and see see what sounds, um, you know, spirit led and truthful and and is a faithful reading of that particular scripture. Well, sadly, time has defeated us, Lucy, but just as a little bit of time just to, to give details of the book and, and how to buy it. So I'll give you the, the title first. Uh, so the title is Unveiling uh, Paul's Women, Making Sense of 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 2 to 16. So the publisher is the publisher is Whitfenstock. You can buy it off their um, website or you can get it off Amazon. It's now on a Kindle version. And the other thing to say is that I, I work um, at Westminster Theological Centre and we have a number of um, Kingdom Theology Days coming up all around the country. And wherever I'm speaking, I also bring my books. And so if anyone's interested in just hearing a bit more deeply about theology, meeting some of our faculty and buying some of our books then find out where we're speaking wonderful well thank you uh, lucy so that's uh, lucy pepiat that's p-e-double-p-i-a-double-t uh, westminster theological center so thank you so much lucy for for sharing and for the book itself it's wonderful thank you thanks andy uh, and thank you for listening thanks for tuning in it's uh, a joy to have you on a, a sunday afternoon uh, do go to premier's website and download the archive versions of Leadership Files, sign up to iTunes and uh, you can get this to your listening device whenever you choose to do so. So thank you for your company. Tune in again next Sunday at 3.30. You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premier. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's word to everyday life. Contact him via email apec at cwr.org.uk. Thank you.